So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll have a look at um, a continuing look at, at the, uh, the promises uh, that God has for us as his children. So 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll read verses 3 to 4 this morning, just to begin the morning's message. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's uh, commit this time to the Lord and let's see what he has for us this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for another wonderful opportunity that we have to learn from your word. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning, that we would not only learn these things intellectually or that we would understand them, Father, that they become embedded in our hearts and that we would live them thoroughly. We thank you for the blessing of your spirit we thank you for the blessing of your word. And we pray that we would always seek to understand your ways and seek your face in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, there are many promises as we continue our look at, the, at this series uh, that we possess as the children of God. Uh, we could meditate for days and days on this uh, subject alone, just just to think about what God has promised in the Old Testament and in the New, um, and what we now are able to claim as promises to us. Um, we could think about these things for days, literally, and, and uh, there have been, I think, nine sermons so far on this, and we're still not even scratching the surface. As the Apostle Peter declares in these verses, we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we were able to be partakers of the divine nature. And that, that verse has always really made me think, to be honest with you. God has, by these promises, implanted his character within us, that we have become partakers of his very nature. So we not only get to experience the wonderful character of God, the wonderful nature of God, as we experience his love, his grace, his mercy, his peace, and all those beautiful things that, that we ascribe to him as the perfect one. But we also now, as his children, have the opportunity to express that nature to others as well. So it's a wonderful thing that he's done for us, not just, not just to bestow his his, uh, his goodness toward us, but he has actually made us part of himself. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us, God is able to express himself through us. So in a sense, we become the hands and feet of God in this world. We've examined uh, some of the, these gifts and the various things that God has, uh, has, has promised us uh, over the past few weeks. And these have included, for example, the promise of eternal life, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the, the promise of his coming, which is the second coming, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, the promise of his abiding presence. And today we'll begin our look at another uh, uh, promise that he has made, which is the promise to listen or to hear us and to answer. God promises that he hears his children and he answers them. God listens. To his children. That's the sermon topic for today. So in essence, these next two sermons will be about what we call prayer and what that means to us. Prayer is essentially speaking to God. Actually, prayer is a conversation with God because we not only speak to God, but God actually answers our prayers in a, in a number of different ways. This promise also builds on the fact that God is with us all the time. Um, having grown up in a Catholic background, I, I understand that a number of, um, of my family members um, believe that they can pray to saints or they can pray to Mary and that they will hear them. Well, the problem with that is, is that only God is ever at the same time. 
Only God can actually hear multiple prayers at the same time. Um, if I, in Australia, am praying to a saint or Mary and a person on the other side of the world is praying to a saint or Mary, um, there is no indication in the Bible that they can even hear our prayers, let alone hear multiple prayers all at the same time. They aren't omnipresent. And so um, the only one who is, uh, is God himself. Because God is everywhere, he's able to listen everywhere. He sees all things. Only he can do that. And so God, God's promise of uh, listening to us um, goes hand in hand with his um, being everywhere as well. And he's promised to us that he will be with us always, regardless of where we are in our lives. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to uh, a Psalm of David, which is Psalm 34, the one we just read earlier on. And we'll look at verses 15 to 18, just to, to see how David's, David saw the promise uh, of God to listen uh, to him. So Psalm 34, 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Now that will happen eventually uh, when all the unrighteous are thrown into a lake of fire. Uh, but until then, our call is to, is to reach out to them. But verse 17 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh, which means he is close unto them that are of a broken heart, and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Indeed, the eyes of the Lord not only see those that are his, but he listens to their cry. The ears of the Lord are never dull of hearing, sometimes like cows are, but are always sharply tuned to hear the cries of his children. When they cry to him, he answers them, delivering them out of trouble. When we have a, a broken heart or we feel down, the, these verses tell us that he is always close to us. He's always near to us. That's the promise that Jesus made that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And, and in that, he says that he is always attentive to our calls for help. He saves those who call out to him with a contrite, and that means like a repentant sort of heart, a, a, a humble heart. This is perfectly in line with what the Lord Jesus taught uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in this passage, it speaks about a contrite spirit. Well, same sort of thing. Um, a poor in spirit is someone who comes to God humbly, understanding that they can't save themselves, but only God can save them. So they come to him repentant of their sin. They come to him with humbleness in their heart. Salvation um, is essentially... The, the kingdom of heaven delivered to one who humbly hum, or humbly comes to God or humbles themselves under the merciful hand of God through Jesus Christ, knowing that they're a sinner who needs to be saved. And this is the starting point for where this um, conversation begins to happen with God. This is the starting point, okay? Um, salvation is the point where a person comes to God and God hears the cry of that person to save them. <clears throat> and so God listens to them and, and, and saves them and makes them his own child. Before salvation takes place, before a person humbly comes to God and asks for Jesus to save them, there really is no conversation taking place between that person and the Lord. A person may ask and pray and do whatever he wants. He may ask for all types of different things, but there is nothing in Scripture that would indicate that God is actually answering their prayers. These verses say that the eyes of the Lord are open to the righteous. And it is the righteous that he has his ears open to. But hang on a sec, you might ask. The Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. Correct. The only way a person can be seen as righteous before the Lord is when Jesus saves them. The Bible says that because of the blood that he shed, all of our sins have been washed away so that we can stand there before God 
justified and righteous in his sight because Jesus has not only washed away our sins with his blood, the Bible says that he has imputed his righteousness to us. It's a bit like having a, uh, a bank account that's in debt. And I've, I've shared this with you before. Uh, Jesus not only paid off our debt to God, okay? So we had this immense debt that could never be paid. The Bible says because of the debt that Jesus paid on that cross, because of the death that he suffered and the blood that he shed, the Bible says that all of our debt has been paid for. In, in fact, when Jesus uh, is Jesus' last words, where it is finished, essentially it is paid for, it is done, it is complete. The transaction has been fulfilled. Jesus not only paid our debt though, which brings our bank balance of righteousness to zero, we have no more debt. The Bible says that he then imputes his righteousness to us as his children. So the, 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 the bank balance, if you would, of our righteousness went from negative millions to positive millions. And so we are righteous in God's eyes, not because of anything we've done, not because we're adding somehow to that account, because, hey, when you have millions, uh, what can I add to that? A dollar? really doesn't make much of a difference. Um, the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us and he has made us his children. That is the wonder of salvation. That is the incredible thing that we have received as a gift from God to those who simply trust him to do it for them. But salvation is a prerequisite then for an ongoing relationship and a conversation with God. Um, if God doesn't see you as righteous, he doesn't listen to your prayers. And the first prayer he ever listens to really from a person is, save me. This promise and others can only be claimed as part of a life eternal that we have been given. God does not hear, according to scriptures, the prayer or the prayers of the unrighteous because of their sin. In fact, Isaiah chapter 59, if you'd like to Turn there or just note this one down. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 say, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So we know from Scripture that sin separates a a person from God. A sin causes him not to hear. But when a, a person cries out to him to save them, the Bible says God, God's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save. There is no one who is too far gone for God to save. And the first cry out to God for salvation means that his ears are open. But the Lord does hear the righteous those saved by his grace. And we have this very special promise to hold on to. Listen to David's prayer in Psalm 143 verse 1. Psalm 143 verse 1 says, A psalm of David, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me and in thy righteousness. God is truly faithful. God is trustworthy. He promised to hear us and he does. One of the blessings we see when we support one another in prayer is that we see God's answers to those prayers. And I, I see that so much in our church. It, it's, it, it seems like a regular occurrence here at our faith. Prayer leads also to encouragement to us. We become more um, vibrant. We become more joyful because God answers these prayers that we have in so many miraculous ways. And we can all rejoice together when God does things that continually show us that he listens and he cares for us. Just this past week, and I mentioned this in, the, in prayer time, um, we have had the blessings of a number of prayer requests being answered, including, including Miriam's mom being home um, and, and had no, having no symptoms after a stroke, a woman of 90 years of age. What a blessing that is. 
Others have been healed in extraordinary ways that we have seen. We've seen lives changed and people finding hope in Christ when they have no hope or had no hope. One testimony that I would like to share with you this morning is a story of our brother Craig, who's been coming to church for the past few months, who recently lost his father this past week. Craig had received a phone call saying that his father, who had been struggling with cancer, was near death and maybe had only a few days to live. As David uh, is here in Victoria and, and, uh, and had a cold as well, uh, and his father in Adelaide, he was not able to see him or go there to be with him. But Craig did, did manage and God did open the door for Craig to speak with his father on the phone. Uh, and, and what is the praise here is that in that phone call, in that final phone call that Craig had with, with his father, he was able to share the gospel with him. And he said to his father, please pray and ask Jesus to save you. And what blessing uh, Craig received was that in the midst of his father even struggling with pneumonia, being uh, struggling to even speak words to him, his answer to Craig was, yes, I will. Even if Craig's father's words were unintelligible, or because of his pneumonia, as long as they were from the heart, God heard them perfectly. A simple Jesus saved me, would have sufficed for Craig's father to enter into heaven and receive salvation as a gift. And Craig now has the hope of seeing his father in heaven one day because God listens. He listened to Craig's prayer concerning his father. He listens to the prayer of the saints as we were praying for him as well. They, uh, Craig had, had called me and I shared immediately on the, on the Prayer Warrior app at, at church and immediately people responded saying, I'll be praying for him, I'll be praying for him. You know that uh, Craig's father passed away only a few hours later. A few hours later. And what's so amazing about this whole thing is that Craig has only come to the Lord, come back to the Lord only in recent months. And now his father... He looks for he can look forward to his father, I believe his name is Desmond, in heaven one day, to see him in heaven one day, um, because God called, prayed to himself, and he answered, and now his father has answered as well. God listens perfectly. Um, now, something how many of us who have partners, who have you know husbands and wives and very close friends or family members, uh, sometimes we know already what they're thinking or intending by the look on their face or by the simple words they may say. We understand where they're coming from, what they're feeling. Well, God doesn't even need to see that. You know, he can hear with all clarity the groans that we utter inside. And sometimes those groans that we even struggle to comprehend ourselves, God hears those with perfect clarity in the confusion of our minds and the noise and the echoes sometimes that we have in there in times of struggle, um, he can hear your voice as clearly as a mother who hears the cries of her baby in a crowded room. You know, a, a mother's ears are, are finely tuned to the cries of her, of her child. And you might be, she may be in a room with a hundred people in there, but if her child starts crying, she can hear that child. Well, God is like that with his children. He hears with all clarity the words that we speak, even the words that we don't speak, that we groan on the inside, or the things that are flying around in our mind. God hears those with perfect, perfect clarity. I can reassure every one of you this morning that God not only hears us, he not only hears those cries, but he listens. And this is a very important difference. You know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of things we can hear in life. There are a lot of noises in our lives and we filter out much of it. We can have many conversations uh, and, and oftentimes we're too busy thinking about what we're going to say in response to that, con to that conversation or to what's being said to us because we're, we're thinking about something else and so we don't listen properly. But this is never true for God. He listens so clearly, so intently, with such focus that not one word or inflection is ever lost to him. He takes what we speak in its entirety. And he's the only one, if you think about it, 
who truly understands what we are saying every time we say it. You know, we spend a lot of our times in life or much of our lives trying to get people to understand. Think about it. Think about the people you have around you. How many times have you tried to, to re-explain something over and over again to get them to understand where you're coming from? Because oftentimes they're thinking about one thing, you're trying to come in from a different angle. And we spend a lot of our times trying to communicate with words that, that are, maybe we don't have a full vocabulary or whatever it is we're trying to express within us. We may not have the right words to say. And so we spend a lot of our times trying to express to people what we are either, what we think or what we feel. Um, if you've ever dealt with a telemarketer from overseas, you'll understand what I'm saying. Sometimes just trying to get your point of view across uh, can be exhausting. And if the other person um, is, isn't really listening, then it makes it doubly hard. People encounter this problem when they get into arguments, especially. You know, when the emotions start rising and, and, and things get heated, um, people's ability to listen to what the other person is saying reduces dramatically because feelings crowd the mind they they block the ears and sometimes if we allow our emotions to get away with us or away from us um they stop our ability to be able to listen to what's actually being said to us but this is never the case with jesus he not only hears our words but he knows our very thoughts. He knows what we're thinking in our minds. He knows what we have within our hearts before they're ever expressed as words. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I want to share a story uh, here where Jesus had done a miracle. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus had just cured someone. He just cast the devil out of someone. And some people were having a bit of a concern about that or a trouble with understanding how he could actually do it. Luke eleven fourteen says, and he was casting out a devil and, and it was dumb. Okay, in other words, it couldn't speak. Um, and it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spoke. In other words, that when that person who was, who was um, indwelt by that evil spirit um, when, that, when, he had, when he had that evil spirit inside him, he couldn't speak because that spirit wasn't able to speak or didn't speak. And when that, he was released from that, or when that demon was cast out of him, he all of a sudden he spoke and the people wondered. But look at what it says in verse 15. But some of them said, he casted out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. In other words, they were starting to, to hypothesize that he was doing this possibly by the power of Satan. Verse 16, and others tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. In other words, they said, oh, hang on a second, if you're such a great prophet, show us a sign in heaven. But look at verse 17. It says, but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself falls. The truth of the matter is, the Lord knows our thoughts. He knew their thoughts. And if he knew their thoughts, he surely knows ours. He can hear the thoughts we have in our heads and the feelings that we have in our hearts. And he knows, even though we may not be able to express them, before we even utter one word, he knows already what's already there. Sometimes we find it a difficulty to, 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 to express ourselves with what we want to say uh, to the Lord. And sometimes uh, when we pray together on Wednesday evenings, uh, sometimes people say to me, oh, I'm not confident to pray because I don't have the right words or I can't express myself. And I say to them, that's not really the, the important thing here. The important thing is not how eloquent you are with your words. The important thing is, is that you speak from the heart to the Lord. Because he can hear the thoughts we have in our heads already. And he knows what we have in our hearts. He finds the meaning, even though we may not be able to express it perfectly in words. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, as we hear just a, a passage about what the Lord teaches about prayer. Because some in religious circles thought that the more words they used, um, the more God would listen to them. 
but God isn't obviously impressed with many words. Look at Matthew 6, 7. It says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not, lo be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. God already knows what I have. God already knows what I have not. God already knows what I have need of before I even speak to him. So repeating yourself over and over and over again because you're trying to get God's attention isn't necessary. Describing every detail, if I forgot someone's name or if I forgot, forgot their address, don't worry, God knows who it is you're talking about. The number of words don't count. What does count is what you are expressing, the concerns that you have for the Lord. He knows already what you're talking about before you start talking. Before we even speak a word, he already knows what you have, what burdens you, you, uh, you carry, and what you're hoping for. So you might ask, well, why pray at all? If he already knows what I'm, what I'm thinking, what I'm hoping, what burdens I'm carrying, why pray at all? Because we need to. And that's what people in a loving relationship do. We speak to each other. We express ourselves to each other. We need to speak to him, to express ourselves to him, to let out what's inside to him. And it benefits us because when we share our heart with him, even though we may not know the right words to speak, to express ourselves, we become encouraged and strengthened when he answers those prayers, those simple prayers. And the simple prayers of a child have often, often touched my heart. When I hear children pray, they, they pray with such clarity. They pray with such simpleness. And God wants us to come to him as children. So speak to God. If you have a relationship with the Lord, speak to him because he loves to hear from you. He loves to talk to you. He loves to answer you. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing within us concerning when we go to the Lord in prayer. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. You know, there are some times when we don't know what to pray. Maybe the, the feelings within our heart are, are, are stopping us from being able to express ourselves. Maybe the grief is very strong. Maybe the hurt is strong. But have a listen to what the, the scriptures tell us in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, your Bible will have capital S, so that's the Holy Spirit. He helpeth with our infirmities. That's our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for, as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We may not have the right or perfect words to speak, but he does. Our infirmities or our weaknesses in expressing ourselves or knowing how to pray or maybe being too tired, rightly are helped by the work of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us. He helps us with our weaknesses, for we struggle to know what to even pray for sometimes. But in those times, especially, the Spirit intercedes for us. He speaks words that we can't even express ourselves. This intercession is always according to God's will. And he knows our hearts more perfectly than anyone else does. Because of the conversation that we have with the Lord, we know that we will always receive good. In fact, every conversation we have with the Lord is good. From the simplest prayer to the time when you're feeling the most elaborate and you pray for an hour straight, prayer is available to us because he promised he would listen. And he listens perfectly. Which leads me to the next point. When you have Jesus as your shepherd, you can not only rest in his abiding presence because he said he would never leave us and he's always going to be with us, but you can also trust in the promise that he hears everything you say and listens perfectly. 
He's always there to listen every moment you call on him. He's never away from you. He's never far from you. He doesn't sleep, doesn't slumber, doesn't get distracted. With him, in other words, there is no, no loneliness because we are never alone. The definition of loneliness is to be alone, but we are never alone. And on top of that, we are never misunderstood. We are never ignored. We are never overlooked. Each one of us as his child is as precious to him as every other child. He understands you and me perfectly and he takes a perfect interest in me and in you and in what we have to say. God is never too busy for us because he's busy doing something else. He loves us with a love that is absolutely perfect. You know, our parents, and I've shared this with you in the past, are the first glimpse of God that a child receives or a child begins to understand as they understand love and nurture and care and protection and grace as they grow up. But no parent is perfect, obviously. Parents are sometimes distracted. Parents are sometimes too busy to hear. Parents are sometimes not there for us when we might need them. But this is not true for God. God is always there. He always listens. He always understands. And that's why, why I can tell you today that if you're feeling lonely at all, you don't need to be. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, just, I want to explain this a little bit further to see how deeply he understands you and me and how his empathy is concerning you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 tells us, Hebrews 2, 17 says, Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that's us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that, he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted, Listen carefully to these verses and what these verses have to say to you. The Bible says he, he was made like us in every way. He, is, he was perfectly a man so that he could fulfill the office of a high priest perfectly because he can be perfectly merciful to us, perfectly faithful to us in his calling. And in him alone, we have reconciliation for our sins and renewed fellowship with the Father from moment to moment because he sits at the right hand of the Father continually making intercession for us as our high priest. But the next verse should give you comfort concerning how he listens to you and me. Because he is as human as we are, he experienced the same temptations, the same frailty, the same sufferings. For those of you who have ever been betrayed by, by friends or family, for those of you who have been ostracized or, or pushed to the side, for those of you who are, who are made to feel small or wrong. He experienced all those things. He is, as the scriptures have described him, or he was, a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. He, more than anyone in this world, knew what true grief actually is. He was betrayed by his closest friend. He was abandoned at his most needful time. No one understood him. No one understood him and nor could they. How can you understand a man who is on his way to die for the sins of the world and who is both the son of God and man at the same time? How could anyone really truly understand him? No one could. So if you ever feel not understood by other people, understand Jesus understands you. He went through sorrows. He went through grief. And like I've said, he knows grief more than anyone else. Imagine being Jesus 
and speaking to thousands of people, but knowing as you know their thoughts, they don't understand what you're saying. They won't accept what you're saying. Their eyes aren't open to that truth because they're too caught up in themselves and in the world. He knew grief because he knew the nature of people around him and he loved them. And there was a time when he, when he, as he was approaching Jerusalem and he cried out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wanted to, to put you under my wings? How long have you killed the prophets for? How many have I sent to you? But look at where you are now. And they're about to deny him again. He knew the true nature of people. He knew the chains that they were bound with, that the devil had them completely um, uh, locked up with, but they refused to allow him to unlock them. He also knew that the, their destiny and the hardness of their heart, like his father, he was not willing that the Bible says any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So imagine for a moment, if you will, the words of the Apostle John, who said that he came to his own and his own received him not, not even his own family, the people that were his, they should have recognized him. Say, so we don't know you. We don't know who you are. In fact, get, get away from us. Imagine for a moment being rejected by your own special people. And you could see the suffering that they had coming to them as a result of that rejection and ignorance. And so Hebrews 2.18 tells us that he too was tempted as we are. The devil tempted him. And you can, you can rest assured that he didn't stop tempting Jesus uh, only after he finished with him in the desert or in the wilderness. Much of the anguish we endure is because we fail. Jesus endured much more temptation, much more anguish, much more grief, not because of anything he did, because he was truly loving. You see, love, true love, opens you up to pain and suffering. You can lock yourself up in a, in a room and protect yourself from all boundaries when you don't love, but love opens you up to suffering. And true love, as Jesus had for us, opened him up to immense suffering. So if you're ever going through suffering, please understand that he understands you. And the Bible says that even though you go through times of temptation and trials in your life, the Bible promises that he will succor you, which means that he understands and he's there to assist and support you during times of hardship and distress because he has been through them already. Even in our most troubling times, he's there, <clears throat> not just in presence, but he's there to hear us, to listen to our needs, and he provides support and assistance. So where does this leave room for loneliness, you tell me? How can someone be lonely if they have the perfect companion on this life's road who is always listening, always supporting, always caring and understands us better than anyone else? People are often looking for friends in this world. And if you're a believer, you have the greatest friend you could ever imagine who is with you 24-7. If we are lonely in this life, it's because we fail to recognize what, and more precisely, who we have in front of our eyes and living within our hearts. If we are lonely, we're essentially saying that the perfect companionship of Jesus, our Savior, is not enough. Instead, we find ourselves craving the love and the attention of people more than the love and the attention of our precious Savior the one who loves us more than all those people combined. Yes, even your family. Jesus loves you more completely, more purely than all of them put together. And so when we feel lonely, what we're essentially saying is, I'm refusing to see you, even though you may be next to me, even though your ear is open to me. You know what? I, I want someone else at the moment. I need someone else. And what, what's more disturbing is that 
we may be too wrapped up in ourselves to accept the love and attention the Lord already has for us. We may be so cocooned in our own grief and our own troubles that we forget to appreciate what we really have in him. That's short-sightedness. That's not understanding who he is to us. The truth of the matter is that God is a perfect listener. Think about it. Who is there every moment of the day or night to hear your ramblings or concerns, your worries or your requests? There's no one but God. Who is there that truly understands everything you have in your heart and filling your mind? No one but God. Who is there that perfectly empathizes with you and sees your pain from the perfect light of truth? No one but God. Who is there that is never worn down or fed up with you? No one but God. So in the summary, so in summary, before you come to God with your prayers, be confident of these things. That God loves you and he will always listen to you perfectly because you, he loves you perfectly. He perfectly understands you and what you're going through, even though you may not be able to express it perfectly with your own words. He's expressing it from within you. There is no reason for you to ever be lonely because the Lord Jesus is always with you and will always hear you. And you must be saved in order to be able to approach God's throne and to speak to him directly. And so finally, let's look at a couple of passages that speak about how we should come to the Lord. Prayer is not a game of chance. Prayer is perfect. And the Lord always loves and listens, as we've already understood. So coming to the Lord should always have these things and these thoughts firmly secured in your mind. For to come to God while, while wavering or thinking, does he really listen to me? Does he really love me? Does he really understand me? Is he ever going to, to answer me? When a person comes to God with those things in their mind, the Bible says that person is double-minded or unstable. Don't be double-minded or unstable. Listen to what the scriptures have to say to you because God is speaking to you through his word. His character does not change. He's perfect from day to day. In fact, our, our church verse, the one that, that we turn to all the time is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But how did Jesus teach people to pray? Let's look at some of the points from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 9. I want to take you through the example of a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples and others that were listening who requested and, uh, and said to Jesus, how are we supposed to pray? And so I'd like to give you this as a model for you because Jesus offered it as a model, never as something to be repeated over and over, but as a model that you understand how we are to approach God, how is the right way to approach the king of the universe, right? Matthew 6 verse 9 says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now all prayers should be addressed to God the Father. And if you're a believer who's been saved by Jesus, the Bible says that you should be praying to God the Father in the name of Jesus and you're praying through the Holy Spirit. That's how the Trinity works within us when we speak to God. But you should always ask for things in Jesus' name. Now, let me just clarify something for you. If I ask for a new red Ferrari, and I say, and I put Jesus' name at the end of that prayer, that doesn't guarantee I'm going to get a red Ferrari. You see, because when I pray something in Jesus' name, what I'm saying is, Father, this is in agreement with what my Savior wants. When I pray in Jesus' name, I'm saying to God the Father, that Father, I'm seeking to pray according to your will. Throwing the name of Jesus at the end of a prayer is not a magical formula that gets your, your request um, answered automatically. But it's an acknowledgement on our part that we believe that this prayer 
is according to your will, Heavenly Father, and according to his will. So all prayers should always be addressed to God the Father in the name of Jesus through the Spirit. Prayer should begin by recognizing who it is you're speaking to. The Lord of the heavens deserves to be worshipped and praised when you approach his throne. He deserves glory from our lips. All prayer should begin this way because what it does, it lifts him up. It grants him the honor, the respect, the worship that he deserves when we come to him, our Heavenly Father. What it does for us is that it reminds us how high above our circumstances and how, how, how wonderful and mighty and perfect he actually is. So when we say, hallowed be thy name, or when Jesus says, hallowed be thy name, we want your name to be glorified. Your name is truly holy, and you are holy because of who you are. And so when you approach God's throne, your prayer should start with how wonderful you are, God. How merciful you are. To come before your throne means that my heart rejoices because I've come before the creator of the universe who loves me. And so we lift him up. And when we lift him up, our circumstances and the things that trouble us and whatever burdens we may have, all of a sudden in our minds begin to look smaller and smaller because he is so great. We're reminding ourselves also that he is great, much greater than any circumstance that we may have in our lives. In other words, praise fills and increases our faith and puts us in the right frame of mind to request something. So if I come to him, first of all, straight away with a request without acknowledging who he is and without acknowledging his, 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 um, his omnipotence, his, his glory, his perfection, his love, his holiness, then somehow I'm limited with what I bring to him because I haven't fully recognized who I'm coming to. See, we need that, we need that um, uh, reminder each time. We need to be reminded because our, our, our minds are frail. Our minds forget. We're too easily distracted. So God tells us, when you come to, to my throne, pray in this way first, glorify the Father. And so in that and with that, in verse 10 says, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so to come before God's throne is not only to glorify him first and lift him up, but it's actually acknowledging and saying your will. I pray that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So as I'm praying, I'm acknowledging and understanding that when I come to him and I pray in Jesus' name, that I'm praying according to his will. And I'm seeking his kingdom first. I'm seeking his good first, his glory first, not mine. Because everything we pray, everything we ask for, everything we bring before him, every supplication we, we have before his throne should be for him. Not for us. So we seek his kingdom first. And what does that mean to seek his kingdom first? It means that when we pray, we pray that the gospel would go forth unhindered. That people would be saved and brought into that kingdom. That that kingdom would glorify him in this world. We pray also for ourselves. That we should be a productive member in that kingdom. That that what we do and the paths we travel and the things we say, the things, the good works we might do might continue to give him glory because we represent his kingdom. And if we're praying for his kingdom on the earth, then we understand the, the tremendous responsibility we have as his children to reach those people who are not in his kingdom, who are destined for hell. And our love for them, his love for them, that is expressed through us should be a driving force for us to reach for them, to show them, to tell them that we might listen to them as well. And so we glorify him. We pray for his will first to be done. And then we bring to him our requests. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, does it stop at bread? Obviously not. Jesus knew that there are a lot more things we need in life than just bread. But this is where we bring our needs and the needs of those who we love to him. Because he supplies all of our needs, including our bread, 
food, clothes, home, work, um, the cure for illness, love, anything else we physically need as people that we see we have need of. We can pray. This is where we bring our things to him. Notice after we glorify him, after we say, your will be done first. Then we bring our petitions to him and we say, God, I believe brother so-and-so is not well. Please heal him. I believe this, this man over here is, uh, is in need of food. And you know what ends up happening a lot of times? God ends up inspiring us to do things that we were not thinking of before. And look at verse 12. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, there is acknowledgement of our sin. We are not perfect this side of glory. We still have shortcomings. We have weaknesses. And this reminds us that not only have we been forgiven of our sin, but that it's important for us to continue with our walk with Christ. Every time we celebrate the Lord's table, we do this. We examine ourselves to see whether we are one in the faith, but two, whether we are walking faithfully with our Lord. And if we are not walking faithfully, if we have been distracted and started to walk our own way, you know what? When we come before God's throne, we should be thinking about, Father, is there something in my life that is drawing me away from you? That is keeping me away from you? Is there sin that I'm harboring? Is there sin that, that I haven't dealt with, Lord, that I haven't confessed to you? As, the, as David, King David says, you know, search me and know me and try me and know if there is any wicked way within me. Let me know it, Lord, because you know my heart better than I do. And so when we pray to, for forgiveness, we're praying that God would relieve us of that so we can walk uprightly and, and continue along that path which glorifies him. But it also reminds us that we are to forgive as he forgives us because we are not perfect we are not to sit in judgment upon other people that's not our call we are not the judge of other people in fact we are to be the ones who forgive other people we are be the first to forgive because we have found freedom in the forgiveness that god has granted us because of the blood that he shed to save us, it should make us want to risk. It should make us want to go through suffering so that others might be saved as we are. God forgave us. We should be the most forgiving people in the world. Our debts have been fully paid for. There is nothing that can stop us from reaching our heavenly destination. But we should remember always that we should demonstrate the love of God and the forgiveness of God to others because that forgiveness now dwells in us. If you find yourself an unforgiving person, then that's a sin to be repented of yourself. Forgiveness should be part of our character as it is God's character. Matthew 6.13 then says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We ask that we should be protected from the attacks of the evil one and to be led in safe paths, not to be allowed to, be, to go into paths where the devil is trying to distract us. But this is more likely, if we are wise, and what we listen to ourselves, if we're asking for the Lord to protect us from the attacks of the evil one, then it must also be that we are careful about where we are walking. I'm not a fool that I just go walking willy-nilly anywhere that my, my flesh takes me and then say, God, protect me from the attacks of the evil one. No, no, we need to be careful and listening to where God wants us to be, to his instruction for us, to his warnings for us. If we go in this direction, he warns us. The scriptures warn us over and over again not to go into various areas. And they include not just the what we classify often as just the big sins like fornication and those things, but also things like envy and jealousy and forgiveness, anger. There's there are so many other things the Bible teaches that we often uh, too easily relegate to a second class of sin. Well, let's not do what the Catholic Church does and create and create mortal and venial sins. Please, let's not do that. 
because the Bible tells us that we are to put away from us all filthiness, all bad language, all everything that may, that may be against the will of God. But if we're asking for God to protect us along the way from the attacks of the evil one, are we actually walking straight into those attacks because of our foolishness? Because we're not listening to God? And that includes what you read, listen, where you go, what you watch on TV, the things that you, you're telling other people. Think about what you say, what you do, where you spend your time. And you'll notice at the end of the prayer, it finishes once again with reminding ourselves about who we have been speaking to. Reminding ourselves that we are in communion with the creator of all things. The one who is holy above all holiness that we can even imagine. The one who is perfect in every way. The omniscient one. The omnipresent one. Who has called us and allowed us to have fellowship with him. Prayer should finish always with praise again. Anticipating and looking forward to with, with great hope and great uh, excitement the things that he will answer you in the future. And that's and the answers to God, to the way God answers prayers is what we'll be looking at next week. So prayer should always finish with praise because we need to remind ourselves constantly of who we are speaking to. So there is no need to fear tomorrow if you're speaking with God today. No need to think that you're alone because he listens to you perfectly. Turn with me just to finally to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says there, Therefore take no thought, saying what ye shall eat, or what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether withal shall we be clothed. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, his glory, his righteousness, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, that's for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Peace comes from trusting in Jesus to take care of tomorrow and today, every day. You know, when we trust our tomorrows with God, there is peace. But sadly, too many believers have put their trust in Jesus to save their soul sometime in the future and to grant our future, okay, um, uh, in eternity um, uh, to in Jesus. So they entrust their eternal future to Jesus, but somehow struggle to trust Jesus for tomorrow or today. I find that a problem with us. I find that that we... So we, we sort of compartmentalize our salvation and we say, all right, that's in the future. God's taking care of that. He's, I've entrusted my soul to him. He's going to take care of that. But you know what? You know, you know what? Tomorrow, I don't know. Or today, I don't know. We should trust God every day. If we say we've entrusted our souls to him eternally, well, why can't we trust him today? Why can't we trust him for tomorrow? Why do we have to worry about tomorrow if he's taking care of our eternity? And so Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7 say, Be careful for nothing, which means stop worrying about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, be thankful. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I'll look at this more, um, in more detail next week because the answers to the prayers that we receive from the Lord Sometimes we haven't even heard and we're looking for something that is not according to his will. So this morning, have you claimed and believe in the promise of prayer? If you have, then praise God. Keep praying. Keep speaking to him. Pray at set times in the day. 
Pray in the morning, pray in the afternoon, pray in the evening, but pray to him constantly. Have a continual conversation with your Saviour, because he's with you every step of the way. He wants to hear from you, but trust him with all things, knowing that he listens, he hears, he cares. If you have received eternal life, then prayer is both your privilege and your responsibility. The Lord is always listening. The Lord will always love. But if you haven't received Christ as your Saviour, then his ears are closed to you. And the first cry he will hear from you is the cry for salvation. So remember, the first and most important thing for you to possess in life is salvation through Jesus Christ. Only then, only when you have that, will you have the ability to come before his throne and to rejoice in what you have. God bless you all. May you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I pray for you and will pray for you to have a better prayer life this coming week. God bless you all. Thank you.